Welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber safety educator, and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. My guests today are brother and sister Martin and Carly McGoran from Inform and Empower. I'll say that again because that's a tongue twister. Inform and empower cyber safety educators. Marty McGoran is a primary school teacher and an educational consultant with over 10 years experience in schools. He is a qualified teacher, holds a Masters of Education, ICT and Digital Learning, as well as being a Google for Education certified trainer and innovator. In 2018, he co-founded ICT EDU magazine, which is a publication that supports effective and innovative teaching and learning with technology. Carly McGoran has over 15 years experience as a psychologist in the community and private sector. She works with both children and adults as well as families. Carly's experience includes providing training, psychoeducation to organisations on a variety of topics. Through her extensive work with families in private practice, community agencies and schools, Carly is passionate about early intervention. I'm going to get her to explain a bit more about that in today's podcast. Together they formed Inform and Empower Cyber Safety Education to inform and empower students, teachers and parents to thrive in an online world. Marty and Carly, welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. Thanks, Leonie. Great to be here and thanks for the warm welcome. So we know you're both absolute experts in your field. Uh, but I'd like to know how you got into this particular area and forming this this business that 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 you're running that is all about educating all those stakeholders in digital technology. Um, Marty, tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. Yeah, well, I guess as you mentioned, my background um, well, I shouldn't say background. My current um, uh, role is also as a primary school teacher. So when I first started teaching, funnily enough, I didn't have a real tech interest or passion. It was in my first couple of years of teaching where I saw the potential and was just introduced to a couple of tools where uh, my grade, we formed our little own online networks and I think it was called Ning, Ning Network at the time, whatever it was, it was a little platform for kids. And I started seeing that amazing potential and, and step by step, I gradually sort of increased my interest from a teacher perspective as to how tech could be so powerful in the classroom. And um, a big change came. I went to teach in Mount Isa in Queensland and they were the, one of the first schools to go one-to-one -one Chromebooks and Google Drive and online with cloud-based everything collaborative. And that really sharpened sort of my, my passion and everything around using technology in the classroom. Um, from that, I started taking on some leadership roles around using technology. And back in Melbourne, I... Um, was leading our own school's one-to-one -one program. And through that uh, leadership within using tech in the classroom came that real acute awareness of, wow, there's this other element to it around cyber safety and digital citizenship. And probably my first step into this field was my own school, like a lot of schools, will have people come in to talk around cyber safety and not having the budget to do that every year. I stepped up as the lead teacher to present one about five, six years ago, and was really fascinated at doing my little bit of own research at the time. And 
I presented to my school and then a neighbouring kindergarten and one other school, I think, in my first year. And I was still teaching at the time full time. But that's when I really developed this awareness that I, as a teacher, and not being a parent, was missing a big chunk of sort of what there is that parents particularly needed to be aware of. And Carly being my sister and her mum with young kids, we were having lots of conversations around this same time. And I then decided that I think for parents to be best informed and empowered, and hence our name, they really needed um, more than just the content that I could share. Because I was giving them the ins and outs of social media and the platforms and everything that I knew and researched. But knowing that going home to a family and kids was so different to what I experienced in a classroom. And that was where Carly and I sat down and over a summer we decided, okay, let's see if what our content together, um, we're able to put together something for parents. And then from that, I developed my own work in student uh, incursions where I engage the kids and then also the staff. So along those gradually to the work I do now is uh, predominantly with those three stakeholders, students during the day, work with the staff and the teachers, and then the parents of an evening. Long story short, you can edit any of that out, but that, that's where I came to um, presenting to, to parents. And Carly, I guess, can jump in now because you joined me for that final part of it and, and where your journey to cyber safety came, Carly. Mm. I guess for me, it was both professional and personal. So living and breathing it with my three children, um, now primary and secondary school age. So there was that very personal interest and need to be as informed um, and empowered as I possibly could be. Um, but also with the work that I was doing in families, it's just a big issue and challenge for all the families that I work with, whether they've got little ease, primary school, or particularly with the teens. So for both those reasons, really keen to work with Marty to support parents being the front line in managing this. Schools can do a certain amount, but parents needing to feel more confident in managing all these challenges, given us parents did not grow up in this digital world, but our kids are, and our job as parents needing to best support our kids in being able to navigate that world safely and confidently. Um, yeah. And my background, I suppose, is um, you said, Leone, with the early intervention, I first started working in the Department of Human Services, child protection. So working with families with very complex needs. And mm. a lot of that work was around supporting parents. Then I worked at Anglid Care, family services, and more recently in the last 10 years or so with um, in private practice. So always with that focus on supporting parents, so that kids can be safer full stop and being able for yeah. kids to be able to thrive um, but, but knowing parents need support and often parents marty and i say don't know what they don't know um, and we mm. find that in every single session we probably do with parents that mm. it's just they don't know what they don't know yeah it's grateful. one of the big yeah, it's one of the big reasons why we struggle to get parents to come along to the education nights isn't it because uh, they're under the, a lot of them are under the assumption that everything's managed, that they've got everything sorted out until it, something goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so 
So that's how do you think, Carly? Name. Here's a question just off to one side. How do you think we get around that? Yeah. That's a, a big question. And, and you and the three of us have spoken about this probably before. How how do you what do you see as a solution to that in the longer term? Is it just more like more awareness yeah. and 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 bigger campaigns that are probably funded by the government to make parents aware that there's much more that they need to know? Yeah, absolutely. Raising that profile and talking to a client and a mum yesterday about just our better increasing understanding of brain care and a lot of cyber safety in that comes under that umbrella of brain care and parents have well and truly got their heads around you know physical body healthy and body care and um, those sorts of things but in relation to brain care we're getting better and better at understanding and managing devices and screens and the content that kids are viewing and the balance of screen time and offline time all comes under that umbrella of brain care. So just like we kids and families understand brushing their teeth twice a day is what we need to do. It's building that awareness of balancing digital and safety around all things digital is equally as important as the food we eat and um, exercise we do. And I, I, I guess something I think... that's been really positive is has been, sorry, that is, is the mainstream media. And I know you mentioned about campaigns, Leonie, the e-safety commissioner who we all work closely with uh, have like we've seen full page ads around. I think it was start the conversation was one of their big mm. campaigns, and so yeah, definitely mainstream media getting on board and these government organisations supporting just a broader. So it's not just us Trojans heading to schools. There's there's a the bigger picture um, of awareness on top of us as well. I think there's one of the big issues with uh, human beings in general is it's very easy to look at those sort of campaigns and say not us. It's not. It's not happening to us. We. We. That. That's other people that that happens to. Yeah. One thing, and this is a school approach we've seen work really well, and I'm, and you might have seen similarly, Oni. Um, and my principal planted this seed when I was the, um, the the tech leader was we went one to one devices, and he was of the firm belief that if we're putting these devices in the hands of the kids from a school perspective, the parent cyber safety information evening was mandatory. So it was actually part of, you do not get your device for school mm. unless a parent representative. Mm. And it was funny having had um, optional evenings and, and only a few people turn up the moment that was put in place. And I was a grade five, six teacher at the time as well. And the conversations hearing the kids going, is your mum coming tonight? Is your dad coming tonight? This was in like week one or two of the school term. And we had 98, 99% of parents turn up for those mm. evenings. So mm. to counter that, they don't know what they don't know. A school approach we've seen work really well is actually having that mandatory element of we're putting a device in your kids' hands. We know that device is going to impact what they do at home. In fact, effectively, we're giving this you this skill set, your kids' this skill set online. What we're going mm. to do as a school is also support parents. And you know mm. what? It's not optional. So that's an interesting one I've seen work really well. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of schools do a lot of different things, Martin, with trying to get parents there including providing uh cocktails and <laughs> meals and and uh gift cards and discounts on different things and and all kinds of stuff uh one school i went to they just made them sign off for some reason they all the parents and i actually saw parents come into the school this was a very high profile private school um sign their name down on a book to say they attended and sneak out <laughs> oh, so and a lot of other schools i know give up 
So they could do that. They could make it mandatory by linking it to a sort of a digital device use in the schools. But a lot of schools are, where I've talked to the principal or the vice principal have said, look, it's not our responsibility. The parents need to step up for this. But the bottom line is they're very hopeful that they're going to get a big turnout of parents to these nights. And then over and over again, disappointed at the turnout. So it would be... Um, that's important to know for schools, any, any teachers or, or staff listening. Um, I agree with Marty. Um, sometimes you have to force the issue because the longer term problem with not informing parents is for schools is the work that happens after that when you have uninformed parents that at the end of the day, every Monday morning, you're going to come in to a barrage of problems that have happened on social media that could have been averted if those parents were educated. Yeah, the, the conversation I have with principals is often to that exact point that having an evening like this, and if you do make the call to make it mandatory, it, it means when issues do arise around grade fives and sixes having cyberbullying dramas on Instagram, straight away the school can say, well, as a school, we have put this message out. It's not to say the school won't then support that family, but they're very much proactive. The school scene has been proactive rather than reactively, oh, and I'm sure you've had this as well, where you come into a school because all mm. proverbials hit the fan and we've, we're coming in to mop up and educate the parents because they've had a big incident online. Mm. Schools mm. that are proactive suddenly become um, uh, in a much better position to handle those, those events that, that inevitably do happen at times. So... Um Marty and Carly, you're both down in Melbourne at the moment. And just before we started recording, you were telling me about what was happening down there with, with lockdown, with um, many of the schools you'd normally be working with at this time of year, now locked down with kids at home and they're not getting um, the benefit of this education this year, but you've been doing lots of parent talks. What is, what's the sort of feedback that you're he hearing? Because I'm in Sydney and our kids are back face to face. Is there a... a um, a really obvious escalation in some of the issues that are happening online, given that so many of the kids and the parents are online at the moment. What are sort of some of the issues that, that you're hearing about? Uh, Carly, maybe I'll ask you mm. first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. So lots of families, which probably um, we're that step behind in, we're about to probably transition kids back to school and back reducing that tech time that has been um, increased significantly because it had to be. So a lot of my work probably at the moment is a lot of anxious parents about wondering about that transition back and how yeah. they're going to manage that. Um, <clears throat> lots of concerns from parents about uh, uh, social media and what kids are doing online um, because some of the parents feel like they've sort of let the reins go and not knowing what's happening with their kids. So um, I think it's going to be the reality is parents coming to terms with it's going to be a challenging time. And I know in other states around Australia, that's something you've already had to go through, going through, um, managing reining the tech back in as kids now have other options of being able to socialise. Yeah, that's what, what I've been hearing from schools. But the, what I'm hearing from schools um, up here in New South Wales is there's an overhang of problems. So some of the schools have said to me they are just completely and utterly overwhelmed with the amount of online incidents that I, they are dealing with compared to, say, last year. Would you agree with that, Martin? Yeah, I, I guess as a school, we've... we've 
we had to effectively put kids on devices for a massive amount of time per day to facilitate teaching and learning. So along with that came their inevitable exposure to everything else in that online world. Um, and that's the good, the bad and the ugly. So we're probably, as Kelly said, that step behind, we haven't returned mm. to school, which we will be in a few weeks where um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're not, but we could very well be encountering that, that flow on effect of the online issues now following the kids back into that online space at school. But unfortunately, the, the positive, and I being a teacher with technology, love to talk about the positive, the kids being online have fast tracked some amazing skill sets from young kids being able to navigate digital platforms and um, older kids being able to be um, dependent, uh, independent, I should say, um, and self-directed in their learning. So there's all of these positives and like anything on the internet that we always talk around, the, the internet is not a bad place, it's a neutral place and it's, it can be used for lots of different things. So um, the positive is going to definitely flow on from the time they've spent online. But unfortunately, as you said, Leonie, I think we are going to see because of kids being perhaps on social media platforms, they would not otherwise have been on because of these six months or more, depending on where you are. Uh, it's probably going to be a greater challenge for schools to try and, and amp up their education as well. Yeah, the other positive that I've seen, Marty, is the schools. Um, you know, the schools that I've been dealing with um, have are amazing with understanding the technology. So some of the ways that I've been doing my, my talks is that I might have seven classes of students, each in their own classroom. This is because they're back face to face, right? And I, and I am not going out to the schools at the moment. I'm doing everything virtually because they're not allowed to have, some of the schools are not allowed to have assemblies anymore. So the way it works out is I can see seven classrooms on my screen talk to each of the kids in each of those classrooms and they can see me. And to set all of that up takes a bit of um, technology know-how, including bandwidth, from the school. And it's really been interesting to watch these teachers who may have struggled, you know, six or seven months ago to even, you know, set up a smart board in some cases in their rooms because some teachers are very technically challenged to being, being able to manage this. So we're seeing an acceleration in technology use within the schools. Is there anything else, Marty, that you're seeing as an advancement from the teaching and uh, schools perspective that's been accelerated and where, where you might think that might go in the future and how that might be used? Yeah, I, I think it is really exciting, Leone, because a lot of my work over the last few years has been supporting innovative teaching and learning, and there will always be teachers who find that really challenging and confronting, but this has absolutely fast-forwarded. An example, that probably about eight or nine years ago, I first, in my own classroom, did what, what was called at the time like a mystery Skype, where we jumped on a, a video call and we teed it up with another teacher in my class. Um, I teed it up with the Canadian school, uh, the time zone, they were having like a sleepover at their school. So the teacher, we were both on Skype video camming into each other's classrooms and the kids were playing a game of like 20 questions to find out where the other grade was. They had atlases out and they were looking up oh, um, okay. different things. And it was the most amazing, engaging activity. The kids, it was the highlight of their year. And so many teachers at my school at the time thought that was like the most outrageous thing, like in a good way, but, but thought yeah. technology, wow, that's amazing. But now yeah. there's probably not a teacher that couldn't go, oh, yeah, I could get in a video call with another class in another school somewhere else. So I would yeah. love to see the flow on effect be teachers being more willing to bring in like a, a virtual expert, bring in somebody from NASA 
um, a computer scientist from NASA or via video call into their science classroom oh, and, right. and bring in a politician to chat around um, society issues into their room because teachers are more comfortable, as you said, flicking on a, a, a Zoom or a, a Google Meet call. Uh, that's definitely a positive. And, and the other one more specifically with teaching and learning is teachers have been forced to have to record their lessons in um, They've done a whole combination of synchronous learning where you're actually on a live video call and, and what yes. we refer to as asynchronous. So record the, the video like a um, Khan Academy style teaching instruction. That was well out of the skill set of most teachers six months ago was recording a, a maths lesson that the kids could then rewatch back. And from a pedagogical perspective, the ability to create lessons as a teacher allows for what they refer to as like a flip model learning in the classroom where mm. the teachers spend more rich time actually in discussion and problem solving with kids rather than that traditional chalk and talk. Okay, here's our topic. I'm going to go through steps one to 10 on the board. Yeah. Then you get to the end of the lesson, the kids go away maybe at home and do the follow-up activity. So that flipped model, I'd love to see happening more in classrooms age dependent, of course, where the kids can independently put the headphones on and watch that maths lesson, how to add fractions and rewatch it, pause it, go back. And then the time spent face to face with the teachers, more exploring and pulling the concepts apart rather than just that top down delivery, because that can be done via a video. That's just content. And with skills teachers are developing, I think that will see its um, way into more and more classrooms uh, going forward. So that, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, Carly, do you see, um, we've been reading a lot about how some kids are really struggling with that screen time that they're having. Are you hearing about that as well? What kind of solutions going forward? If, if we are in a world now where for perhaps for the next year or even two years where we're going to be going from face-to-face -face learning to remote, how do we get around um, some of the social issues that are happening around screen learning where some kids and parents are really struggling to engage with that screen? Mm. Um, there's probably, for me, working with families, I think parents needing to feel uh, empowered to be able to set some boundaries around that and in relation to the balance for example so for kids on devices where they're having a lot more screen time which is okay but needing that balance of muddy and I talk about green time and parents needing to feel like they can prioritize those other things and essentially forcing their kids to do other things so that there's a balance because I think what happens is in a lot of families, and I'm hearing parents say the kids are just spending their entire time in their room on a device. What do I do? And giving them that incentive that you're allowed to request, you're allowed to think of ideas and get your kids outside. And when Marty and I talk about um, green time, we don't just talk about traditional outside, getting kids outside, but we talk about things like weaving in mindful time and weaving in reading time and moving time and all those other things and even having the language in a family around green time. So talking to kids about the needs, just so they're better informed about it um, mm. as to why they're drawn to devices so that it's not seen as kids being naughty and kids being difficult or kids being disrespectful. But there's good reasons why that child brain, let alone the adult brain, is drawn to wanting to be 
on devices. Um, I think what I was referring to was that there's quite a few reports of kids that are not wanting to engage. So when it's school time and they're in front of the screen, the parents are really struggling to keep the child engaged on screen enough to do schoolwork and they're giving up. And I think one oh. of the things you just said then with, with parents is there was a, a thinking at the beginning of this whole this whole COVID-19 that, okay, let's just throw, let's just not be too uh, strict about all of this because it's just impossible, as, as you were saying before we were recording, for parents that are working full-time from home and then having to supervise their child on their device as well, doing mm. schooling and then trying mm. to find other things for that child to do yeah. to get them off the screen time when mum and dad perhaps are in mm. the you know uh, on screens trying to work but if this goes on for another year with up and down and backwards and forwards between face to face and screens what are the longer term things that we need to be aware of to make to at least have some value in this education for the next year or two which is going to be, by some reports, a much uh, less rich experience for children. I think for me, and it's probably more back to Marty in relation to schools and that, um, not so much am I hearing from parents about the trickiness. Younger kids, I know a lot of families are struggling to keep younger kids, the foundation prep ones and twos, engaged yeah. in an online learning. And I know some schools are doing, as you said before, like very, very, very different programs. So some schools are requiring littlies to be online six times a day. Um, and for parents to manage that and for those little ones to be engaged online six times a day across the school day is not working. Whereas other schools have come to understand that, you know, six times a day online is not appropriate given their brain development and they've gone to one time a day the inconsistency is a big big thing so i think through marty's work in schools which i'm not involved in is around um, schools coming together and getting that feedback around depending on the age of kids like secondary versus preppies what's best what can they best manage given their brain development six times a day for a preppy in grade one to be online is not it doesn't work it doesn't happen so marty what's so, what's the what marty what's the discussions well, been like around these issues of engaging kids that are um you know might be spending say 60 to 80 percent of their their yeah. school year working through a, a screen. I mean, there's been never, ever a time in anyone's <laughs> lifetime to be able to get any kind of research or data on how effective screen time learning is. And Marty. before, sorry, before Marty jumps in, I'll say one thing. Okay. What I understand and the challenge of it is, Leonie, is just with families, the differences between families is enormous. So whether it's a two-parent family, a solo parenting, whether they're trying to do full-time work at home, whether there's babies, whether parents have mental health issues, that's the challenge for schools. That for me, working with families, each circumstance is so incredibly different that um, the challenge for schools to be able to best meet those needs is enormous. Yeah, because you can't take the child out of that home situation and at least give them, no. a, you know, an, an, an equal opportunity at a school. They're in an, no. they're, they're, they're constrained by whatever environment they're in when they're on that screen. 
that's it. And for one of my young people the other day, there's a lot of family conflict and there's some family violence issues. So she's trying to do her presentation for school and there's conflict and screaming and shouting in the background, for example. So there's families that have got those challenges they're managing. And yeah. then there's families where there's, you know, a solo parent with five kids under five and how they're managing that preppy at school. So I, you know, and I guess my work is very much more on an individual basis, apart from when I'm talking to the big groups of parents in just supporting parents with their individual circumstances. But sorry, back to you, Marty. More generally, <laughs> schools values are huge. Yep. Yeah, well, I think you've almost summed it up there that the biggest challenge schools are facing, and I, I saw our feedback from the school where I'm um, on staff after the first, because in Melbourne we had the, the two big periods, the first period yeah. of um, remote learning that we, we did see parental feedback. And it was fascinating to see that that feedback was from one end of the spectrum to the other. And I'm talking about some saying there was too much work, there was too much yep. overload, too many expectations. And parents of children in the exact same class, mm. the feedback at the exact same point in time was there is not enough work, there's not enough expectations, the kids aren't um, completing enough um, work. Don't you and get we, that we, in normal times though, Marty? Well, <laughs> I, I guess the... With parents having different expectations around homework, for instance, I know that's a really big yeah. issue where you'll get some parents who say there's not enough homework and other parents are saying, well, it's too much. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, and, and you both probably hit the nail on the head with your previous one is that the school was the great leveller um, when we're face to face because the kids walk mm. through the doors, they're all in those same four walls, they've got the same time, the same break, the same. Mm. And without that leveller there, you bring in every one of those factors that Carly just spoke around. Mm. And from a school perspective, I guess there's no silver bullet yet. Yeah, it is, as you said, that word, and it's probably overused this year, unprecedented, but it is. And, and we don't have the solution at the moment. We've, we've sort of, I, I worked with about three schools very closely rolling out their remote learning 2.0, as we called it. And mm. just the, the changes from remote learning one to two were massive in terms of simplifying things mm -hmm. around the, the workflow. Cause lots of schools took on all these platforms and let's use this and let's use this and this and, parents without the tech background or um, the time and the multiple students were finding it overwhelming. So one of the big things I saw from remote learning one to two was just the simplifying of the delivery of the work. Okay, let's get one really clear place for the work to be housed. How do they turn it in and take away all the bells and whistles? So if, if it does continue on into 2021, it's, it's, it's probably just going to be one of these evolving sort of um, movable feasts, unfortunately, that we don't do have you think there's Do you think there's going to be um, a massive catch-up that happens in 21? So just say in 21, we're, we're lucky. We have this beautiful COVID-free bubble here in Australia um, and all the kids go back to face-to-face. -to -face. Is there going to be a catch-up that happens in 2021? 21 to us for all, all the students or for, you know, the majority of the students that uh, are struck are in lockdown, which is Melbourne, really? Yeah, it, well, in, in terms of a, a teaching and learning perspective, the challenge will be that you, you will have had some kids be at home and for whatever reason, their family was able to support really rich learning and lots of um, a couple of families have said, this is working ideally. Why couldn't I continue to do it this way? So there's that end yeah. of the spectrum and the others who will, who will be 
at the school at 7am getting ready to send the kids back um, day one um, in term four. But, um, and, and therefore those kids from those two different families are probably going to come back with a very varied, but as you said, Leonie, we've, schools have done it forever, catering for mixed abilities. It's just going to okay. be once more, um, probably just a div- more diverse mixed ability. Um, and yeah, catch up absolutely, for sure. Yeah, you don't know what, what it, what's going to happen. It's, it's, mm. it's a case of just waiting and seeing as to, to what happens with COVID and uh, lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. And we're just going to, it's a big experiment, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Yeah. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Marty, was the curriculum. We had a meeting, which we won't talk about, with the eSafety Commissioner recently, where we, we discussed some best practices for, for cyber safety. And I'm curious to know, and I get these questions from parents quite a lot that don't know really what is in the curriculum around cyber safety. So all of us going out independently into schools, we're, we're often going out, as you said previously, after an incident has happened and the school says, right, we need to bring in somebody to, uh, as a sort of a booster. And we're often going out as a booster or the cherry on the top, as I like to say, we're not solely responsible for the education of the students, the parents and the staff. There is uh, cyber safety built into the curriculum um, and most schools that I go out to are already teaching uh, their students about aspects of digital, um, the digital world and digital citizenship and, and e-safety. But do you think schools in general, Marty, are doing a good job of this? Is, do we need to change or, or add more to the curriculum so that we, um, there is um, a broader sense of learning and, and, and a more... Um, uh, a, a, a learning through of e-safety that is um, a solid approach so all schools are benefiting and you don't just have one school that's doing it really well and another school that perhaps just throw it in you know just before the e-safety uh, expert comes out a couple of days beforehand yeah well I, to answer that short I think there is such um, a diverse um, range of approaches and and some I can honestly say I think really um, dropped the ball some schools unfortunately that I've worked in I know and speaking to teachers that coming in for my work with them for one day might be literally and they feel that's a tick box approach there's other schools who build it into a much broader um, approach and in an ideal world if I was to start a school up from from day dot um, or advising a school as to how best to approach it, it would be to use services like yourself, Leone, and what we do as um, as the cherry on top, as, as the impetus, like you would an excursion to the zoo when you're learning about a whole terms unit on animals. You, the, mm. the excursion's not the beginning and the end of the learning. Um, mm. Not calling us animals or anything in what we do. But, um, we are we, we bit... do incursions. We do incursions. incursions. Um, yes. Yeah, but... I think my biggest uh, area I'd love to see grown within schools and when I get to work with teachers particularly, it's probably one of my strongest messages is to how can cyber safety or digital citizenship be embedded through their teaching and learning and not just a standalone. So it's fantastic to have um, for Safer Internet Day, which happens in February each year. That's a fantastic place to highlight it. 
But then as teachers, a simple example I like to give is, is when you're having a discussion on a platform like Google Classroom or Flipgrid or any of these tools where the kids collaborate, and that might be for um, literacy, it might be pulling apart a book report or something, and the kids are online in a little classroom collaborative space, that's the time to be discussing a topic like how to disagree with someone online and how to do that respectfully rather than a standalone lesson as to how do we online be respectful citizens? Let's look at mm. X, Y, Z. Mm. If a teacher has that understanding that my young people online need to have these set of skills, I know when we hit the topic of um, discussions online and we're doing it for our, our novel that we're doing, what a great time to actually pull apart. Oh, I saw how Johnny disagreed could that be interpreted a different way? And using those examples throughout your regular teaching and learning, I think is the absolute ideal, mm. but it does require teachers to have that sort of deep understanding. And I guess the, in terms of what needs to be covered, I would love to see, and, and you mentioned alluded to there that the eSafety commissioner is looking at best practice around the world mm. as to what a framework might be, because there isn't at the moment for Australian schools, there's parts of cyber safety in the Australian curriculum, but it's mm. not something that a teacher can just pick up and go, great, I need to in grade four cover this and these topics. Um, I would love to see teachers really looking at ways they can embed it into other areas that they're already doing. And it gives it a little bit more context. Do you get a sense that there's a reluctance to do that? Because I know with a lot of teachers, they feel that like they're, they're verging on into the parenting space in a lot of their teaching and they're feeling overwhelmed with the curriculum as it is. Yeah, absolutely. And being a teacher who's unpacked curriculum and um, staff curriculum days, it is a massive task. Um, I guess my argument is, is if, you as a teacher in a school are wanting to put your kids in online platforms. This is a non-negotiable. Either don't have them in an online space and that's fine. You can, you can then say that, well, that's parents' responsibility. But the fact that schools are putting kids on Microsoft yeah. um, Office 365 and Google Drive and these sort of online platforms, there's an absolute obligation because we're leading these kids into these platforms, we can't then okay. just say, well, I, that's, that's a, a parenting issue, the, the online safety. Yeah, it's a bit like enrolling them into, into sport and then expecting them to, to know the rules of the game uh, themselves without teaching them. If you've got them on uh, Google Drive and they're using Google Docs, that's often the first place that you find they, that there's problems on Google Docs with them for whatever they're contributing to the document with. It can turn into a bullying platform, for instance. It's com quite common. Yeah, I get And probably my other key message to teachers, which I'd love to, um, and, and this probably echoes what I know Carly will add on in terms of parents, is teachers having um, a real awareness as to the online world is so much of what our young people are, is to upskill yourself in some of the really simple things like, and I'll give you an example. If you teach junior school, Roblox is something you need to know about Roblox. If you're a grade one, two teacher, I'll go into schools and I'll mention the word Roblox and the kids jump out of their seats cheering yeah, at that yeah. age and, and they love it. But if you speak to the teachers, they're like, oh yeah, I think I've heard of it. They might not even be able to pronounce it. And I suggest if you're in those junior schools, things like Roblox, Something I do with grade threes to sixes, I start all my sessions with a, a little quiz and I put up the 
number one, two, and three YouTube channels. Um, I say how many subscribers, like 110 million, 98 and 80, and ask for the kids a show of hands, who can name the top three YouTube channels? And you see the teachers' faces are like, oh, what, like the top three? And the kids start yelling out all of these different um, names of YouTube channels. Mm. And you see the kids, the teachers shaking their heads, never heard of it. Who's, what's T-Series? Um, who's PewDiePie? Five-minute yeah. craft, all of these things. So I would suggest to teachers one of the best things you can do for both relationships with your kids and also for a broader understanding of that online world is just do a little bit of scratching under the surfaces to what your kids are up to because it's, it's like a pseudo language, which I think as parents, Carly, you'd probably echo that advice for parents. Mm, absolutely. Just like, you know, and it doesn't come naturally to parents. Um, even my husband was saying the other day about, no, I don't want to know about that because he never grew up in that digital space. But like we share their interests in musical instruments and gymnastics and sport mm. and we ask questions and we get involved and most parents, we, Marty and I could generalise and say, um, don't do that similar, don't adopt that similar attitude in relation to their kids' experience of the online world. And that's a big part of our work is encouraging and flagging with parents that that is somewhere they need to go as, as uncomfortable as it might be. You don't have to pretend to be an expert. As Marty knows, and my kids know, I am not tech savvy. And that's not what you need to be. You need to have a certain amount of knowledge. But it's more about showing that you're interested and showing curiosity through questions and knowing, you know, as I said to Marty, I hear a lot from my kids about the in-depth of, you know, what they've achieved online and um, what they've done in a duo and what they've, who's doing what on online channels and they're not on TikTok, but they hear things about TikTok. So then we have discussions about those sorts of things. So getting ourselves uncomfortable as parents into a space that we need to be. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, Mar Marty, what you were saying about the teachers knowing something about it is the bottom line is all the stuff that kids are doing out of school on uh, gaming platforms or whatever it is affects their relationships within school. And the, kid, the teachers having a heads up that there was some drama that happened on Roblox over the weekend really helps them to understand where these kids uh, having social issues and for Carly what you're saying about parents is I think a lot of parents leave it up to schools to educate their kids because they feel disempowered they feel that they don't know enough and what you're just saying then is really important it's about the relationship that they have with their kids and their digital technology and allowing themselves to be taught in some cases by kids you kind of have to put those barriers down and try and put yourself in the headspace of okay I had Three sons that were into soccer. I have no interest in soccer whatsoever. None. <laughs> My husband did, but I was at every soccer game that they played. And the, that's what I say to parents is you've got to put it in the same place of being supportive, trying not to make it the enemy, be positive about some of the good things. Don't think just because you're taking an interest in it that you're just encouraging them and all this time wasting that they do on devices. It's mm -hmm. part of their lives. Mm. 
And showing that curiosity about all the good stuff and the fun stuff makes it a whole lot more likely that they may come to you to talk about when things are not going well and there's issues. And for me, that's the biggest message that if you do that groundwork and show that curious interest, then they're going to be a lot more likely and feeling comfortable um, to come to you when there's a problem, which is what we desperately want. Yep. So I'm going to wind, wind up this, this, uh, this podcast with a question for both of you. If you've got um, some top tips for parents about uh, connecting with their kids in this space, um, what would that be, Marty? What, what are your top tips for, for, for parents right now? I'll bring back to that point and highlight again what I, I just said around having some common language around the games and the platforms that they play. So if they play Fortnite, you should know what a loot box is and what a squad versus a duo versus... Um, oh, come on. <laughs> come um, on that's too and, much. <laughs> and, and, and it's literally like, like that's a cheat sheet. So I'm talking that, that shared language and this is teacher perspective is going to, and this leads to Carly's, that opens up the conversations because if they don't even have that shared language, how will they talk about the positive or more importantly, when you want them to talk the negative? So my tip would be spend a little bit of time. I know, Leona, you talk about it, co-playing. Um, sit there and, mm. and play Fortnite if that's their game for a little bit. You'll be rubbish at it. I've tried it. it it's a very <laughs> hard game to play um, yep. for a beginner. But co-playing, get to understand some of that language because it'll open up. And I get kids come into my classroom chatting about all sorts of things. Why? Because they know I have some of, I'm not a Roblox guru or a Fortnite guru, but I have yeah. a base level um, knowledge mm. to share some conversation. So that yeah. would be my, yeah. my tip for parents and teachers. Great. Carly? <laughs> I think for me, the focus, you know, of all my work and conversations and with my own children is about starting up conversations and giving kids permission to come to you about all those sorts of topics. Because if they think that you're anti-swearing or swearing's not okay, then they're not going to share with you a particular song. One of my kids recently um, wanted to share a TikTok song that someone had sent him and he didn't understand because of some of the sexual content that was in this song, but he knew there was a whole lot of swearing in it. But he knows I don't particularly swear, don't particularly, that's not the way we operate, but I'm happy to hear it in that context so we can get to the nitty gritty of what's going on in that song. Um, Mm. I use the word, and depending on ages of kids, but pornography like they know that they can talk to me about those sorts of things because I use that language um, and then they're able to bring up those trickier conversations. But we have to plant the seed. We as adults have to open up those conversations to Mm. make it as comfortable as possible for them to come to us if something's going on. Yeah, Um, because if we don't know about it, we can't help. Mm. No, and just curious and i'll often use to start conversations often borrow a story so you might have read something about an issue with a kid online so you could bring that up or you could bring up um you know i was wondering what would happen would you know what to do if Mm. this happened like if you Mm. got a message that said what would you do because i read about this kid just opening up the conversations to get them thinking Using some role, they can playing, role playing is a, is really effective, I think, so that kids yeah. need to to know where to get help and how to get themselves out of tricky situations. And if you start doing that when they're really young about digital technology, when it starts yeah. to be about drugs or drinking or any other kind mm. of older teen mm. issues, which mm. can start happening mm. when 
12 or 13, then they've got an understanding of where you stand, how open you are and where they can get help and how to get themselves out of tricky situations. Mm, mm, That's it. Great. Well, it's been a wonderful chat with you guys, as usual. We chat every now and then. Um, Thank you for being on Digital Families today and we'll chat again soon. Thanks for having us, Leonie. Thank you, and Leonie. I hope I hope that things open up down in Melbourne really soon, so you can start getting out there and having more than two hours a day outside, and getting back to some normalcy again. Fingers crossed. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Digital Families podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review or some feedback on your YouTube on YouTube or your favourite podcast app, whatever you're listening to uh, us on. I'd love to hear what you think and maybe you've got a guest suggestion for us as well. And I look forward to being with you again virtually next week with another episode of Digital Families.